following Christ isn't like a bad accent that you can put on and take off at will and hope you can trick all the people with it. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. For a number of years, Kenny and I would attend the National Youth Workers Conference put on by Youth Specialties. We went every other year for quite a while. We always enjoyed the opportunity to get away for a bit and loved the extended time we could spend brainstorming about our specific youth ministry setting and what we might look forward to doing in our context once we returned. One of the places we found ourselves going back to on a consistent basis was Atlanta. It was great. We loved going to the Coca-Cola Museum, although we definitely got a little too excited at the end of our tour every year. The place where you can taste test co- products from everywhere I mean, seriously, how do you not try Bebo Candy Pine Nut? Especially when you hear it's an African favorite. Bebo Pine Nut tastes of pineapple and coconut. Or what about Thumbs Up, which is a super strong cola that's really, really spicy. Thumbs Up, you learn, is the best-selling soft drink in India and is the first beverage from that country that was available in Taste It, which is that portion of the museum. After that, what you think is a little too much, you need to move on to something sweet. So we'd go over to something like Sparletta Sparberry. <laughs> I just love saying it. Sparletta Sparberry, which was from the 1950s and tasted like a raspberry cream soda. And it's not available anywhere else in the United States. So if you're going to try it, unless you're traveling soon to Central or Southern Africa, you better try it here while you're there. What about Inca Cola from Peru? It's yellow. And with the name, you might be thinking cola, but as soon as you taste it, it seems like you're drinking bubble gum. It's crazy. They tell you at the museum that they use that drink to actually flavor a number of dishes in Peru in their traditional cooking. And, of course, all the Fantas. My two favorites would be Fanta Pineapple, which is from Greece, and Fanta Melon Frosty, which is from Thailand. Hello, it tastes like a super sweet melon. We would walk out of that museum every time we went, which was at least four times, but it maybe was five. In fact, I think it probably is five. But at any rate, each time we'd walk out feeling sick. And I'd always turn to Kenny and say, Ugh, why don't I remember to bring a granola bar or a piece of bread or something when we come here? But we never do. Instead, I maybe should have asked Kirsten, why don't you just stop drinking all the pop? Also, while we were in Atlanta, there were a number of restaurants on our list that we'd always try to go to when we were there. One we would never miss. Our favorite was Gladys Knight's Chicken and Waffles. The food was amazing. We'd, of course, get chicken and waffles, but also mac and cheese and collards and bread pudding and barbecue. It was our first stop every time. We recommended it to friends who would visit Atlanta year after year after year. So today I decided to Google it to see if I could let you all know the street name it's located on, and I found out it closed in 2017 which they went on to report was a year after the owner was arrested on felony theft charges, among a few other illegal activities that were going on there. Oops, the food was super good, though. I also read that Gladys Knight successfully won a suit to remove her name from the restaurant, which is now defunct. One year, we found ourselves enjoying some pretty sweet stadium food. Let me tell you how that happened. 
We had finished our morning session at the conference and walked up to our room to return our books and Bibles and stuff. I looked out the window and I saw a stream of people like a parade. I saw a plethora of black and red. And then I noticed a large number of Atlanta Falcons jerseys. I looked closer. I saw painted faces and painted bellies. I saw hats and horns and foam fingers. I put two and two together and realized the stadium must be pretty close by and Atlanta must be playing at home today. I called Kenny over to come look at the window. And then we did the expected thing. We looked in our suitcases for anything red and black. We put it on. We took the elevator down and ran toward the stadium. We saw tents set up everywhere. And, of course, there were people selling tickets on every corner. I was well aware of the ticket scams that had just been surfacing at this point on the Internet, and I didn't want to buy a fake seat. So we walked closer to the stadium and figured we'd get in line and see if there were any cheap tickets left to buy. Kenny grabbed our place while I ran up to the window to see about how much the cheapest tickets would cost. I came back with my scouting report. The cheapest tickets are like 80 bucks. And though I adore football, I didn't even know Atlanta was playing at home that day, I told myself. I told myself, you had to scrounge up black and red. You cannot justify paying that for one ticket. Besides, once we get in, we'll have to eat lunch. That'll really add up. So we stepped out of line and started looking around for any food in the perimeter. As we were checking out our surroundings, someone else had been checking out us, and we didn't even know it. We turned to walk towards some of the tents we saw on our way in, and a woman grabbed my arm. Excuse me, she said, were you two looking for tickets? Yeah, we were, I answered, but we're not even from around here, and they were pretty expensive. She then asked, would you want to go if they were free? Uh, yeah. She then began to explain, I'm not a huge Falcons fan. I'm more of like a college ball fan. My team is actually Georgia Tech. I'm like, ooh, go Yellow Jackets. I replied, we've been on that campus before, but we're actually from Minnesota. She kept on explaining. Well, anyway, I was at some fundraiser a while back at Georgia Tech, and one of the prizes they were giving out was tickets to an Atlanta game, and I won them, and I thought I won two tickets, and just a minute ago when my husband and I were heading into the stadium, I opened up the envelope and noticed there were four. We decided to see if there were two people in line that we wouldn't mind going to the game with, and so we've been watching you. When we heard you say they were too expensive, we thought we'd offer you ours for free. I wanted to hug her, but... I was afraid I'd scare her and maybe she'd rescind the offer. Instead, I dropped my mouth wide open and I screamed, Are you kidding me right now? Oh my gosh, yes! I can't even believe this is happening. This is so great! Are you sure we can't give you anything for the tickets? We'd be happy to do so. I think that probably scared her more, but she said she wouldn't hear of it. So I went on, Can we buy you at least lunch or something to drink? She said, Nope, we're good. So that day, we found our place in the stands with our two new best friends. We cheered for Atlanta like we cared who won. They didn't win. I remember that Tampa Bay did. Actually, the Vikings had beaten Atlanta earlier that year, too, which I'd remembered. We barely knew any of the Atlanta players. Michael Vick had actually just been let go for, well, we know why. Harrington was now their quarterback. And, fun little aside, if anybody cares, Mike Zimmer was actually their defensive coordinator at that time. At any rate... I do remember in the stadium enjoying an amazing plate of barbecue, a fabulous root beer, and pretty good conversation with strangers turned friends. Turned strangers again, because I don't even remember their names anymore. Oops. And though we had a fabulous time, I felt a tiny bit like a poser, you know? But not as bad as the guy we met later on at Pity Pat's porch. For years we had passed by it, never going in. We saw the sign, Pity Pat's porch. We read about it in brochures from our hotel. It was described as a charming restaurant exuding gone with the wind nostalgia. 
The pamphlet tried to lure us in, convincing us that the recipes made today were the same ones Scarlett O'Hara's aunt made for her when she would visit Atlanta. Kind of a cute idea, but book isn't real, neither is Aunt Pity Pat. But the restaurant was within walking distance. We saw that their desserts were getting rave reviews, so we decided, huh, maybe this is our year to try it. And so we did. We walked from our hotel right over to the entrance of Pity Pat's that was framed with brick columns topped with large white finials. We walked inside and saw two stories of white wood railings. They were lined with wood rocking chairs. There were rocking chairs everywhere. There were chairs, 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 so many chairs. I actually wasn't sure if I'd remembered something a little off. And because these are true stories I tell, I thought I better verify my impression. I don't know why I was thinking chairs, chairs, chairs. So I went online and checked out the pictures of Pity Pet's porch. If you do so, you too will see there's chairs everywhere. The menu also looked good. So we found a place to sit, not too hard with all the chairs and all. As we were looking over the menu, our server came by. He was a man in his 40s with a huge smile. He poured our glasses. Welcome to Pity Pats. I'll be serving you today. Can I start y'all off with something to drink? I was like, water is great for now, thanks. He poured our water and left. He came back a little bit later and led with, y'all need more time or a recommendation? Our pecan-coated catfish fingers are divine. It's a divine way to start. Be sure you leave room for a yummy homemade dessert, though. Our bread is homemade as well. I'll come back in just a few. And he left. I looked at Kenny. Whoa, I said. He is not from here. His accent is so much thicker than anybody else. I wonder where he's from, though. Soon the server came. He took our order, and then he left. He returned just a few moments later with a big basket cradled in one arm and a large tongs in his other hand. He came up to the table and asked me first. Would you like a homemade biscuit, a piece of cornbread, or a muffin? I said, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Yes, ma'am. Would you like a homemade biscuit, a piece of cornbread, or a muffin? I said, cornbread, please. Oops, but I didn't mean to mock him. I just was caught up, and I couldn't help myself. He then turned to Kenny without skipping a beat and began again. How about you, sir? Would you like a homemade biscuit, a piece of cornbread, or a muffin? Kenny asked if it was possible to have both a biscuit and a muffin. I was impressed with his ability to translate so quickly. A short time later, he came back with our pecan coated catfish fingers. They were good. He asked where we were from because he said this. I can tell by your accents you're not from around here. I said, you're right. We're from Minnesota. Would you have guessed that? And he replied, and I kid you not here. Yeah, actually, I was wondering if you were because I'm from Fargo. You sounded Midwest. My eyes opened large. My mouth dropped open larger. And before I thought it, I said, yeah, I could tell from your accent you weren't from around here either. From that moment on, our server lost his bit. You guys ready for your check, he said. I felt for him, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if I felt badly that he felt like he had to put on his fake accent or if I felt badly that I let on that it sounded fake or what. At any rate, we tipped him. We maneuvered our way through all the chairs and made our way to the exit. These stories got me thinking. Wearing red and black and cheering loudly doesn't make me an Atlanta fan, and talking like I'm from the South doesn't make me a Southerner. Also, being nice doesn't make me godly, and talking in Bible speak doesn't make me a Christian. What does make me godly? God does. It's a process that begins from the inside and makes its way out, not the reverse. You don't put it on. It exudes out. 
Left to my own devices and my natural self, what would exude out is ungodliness. There's no mistaking that. I am self-focused and sinful. I want my own way. I have my own agenda. Left to rule myself, I would cheer for myself and put myself first. The only way I can truly be godly is by being made new. I need to leave what's old behind. We've talked about that. I can't just wear some Christian jersey, give myself the eagles as a mascot. Seriously, have you ever noticed how many Christian schools? I was just telling Kenny this last night, have the eagles as a mascot. Because of the verse, probably, they will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Like, who wouldn't pick that verse in that mascot in your athletic department meeting or something, right? But back to the point, I can't throw on some Christian say on a t-shirt and walk around and actually accurately represent. Instead, there are two things that need to happen. First, as Galatians tells us, we need to die to ourselves. That means we need to recognize that we're not here for ourselves. We are not here to cheer for ourselves or score points. Instead, we're here to live for the one who is greater. Galatians 2, 19 to 20 says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying? Well, there was a time when Paul lived as a Pharisee, meticulously following all the rules and zealously promoting his religion. He now realizes that living for the law is not his option. He instead lives for Christ with the power given to him by Christ. The life he now lives in the body, which is just like saying life, he says is lived by faith in Jesus who loved him and gave himself for him. What a blessing. We all too can echo not just the sentiment, but this life pattern. We shouldn't pose as Christians. We should be Christ-like. We should love as he loves. We should care for those he would want us to care for. We should reach out to those who do not know him yet with a generous heart and a listening ear. We should not fancy ourselves the judge. We are not. Instead, we should daily put ourselves in the witness stand, testifying to what we know to be true. God is good. God loves. God provides forgiveness of sin and purpose for a life. We should so reflect him with our words and actions that it would be obvious to anyone around us that we follow him. We can drop the phone finger. We don't need to paint our faces like streets of gold to rep our team. Instead, who we are can identify who we follow. Not only should we die to self, our self then needs to be transformed into the image of the Lord. We are all created in his image, and when we are born again, we become new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18 says this, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. The Holy Spirit gives freedom. In this context, Paul had been talking about Moses and how the Ten Commandments came accompanied by the glory of the Lord. Remember that? Moses glowed and all. Remember he used to cover his face with a veil because the people were so afraid of God's glory and they needed some distance? Paul is saying here that now, with the presence of the Spirit of the Lord within us, we are all looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And we are all in the process of being transformed into that image from glory to glory. And this process, Paul says, is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers and transforms us more and more into the glory of God. This is done again from the inside out. The definition of transformed means a marked change in nature and in function. This is not something we put on and take off at will like a bad accent. 
Instead, it's a process that continues day in and day out, taking place in each of our lives as we die to self and live for Christ. What a glorious adventure. We live and move and have our being because of Christ. And because of that, we live and move and have our being for Christ. It is my prayer that I reflect Him more accurately and represent Him more consistently. 